y'all really believe that after knocking her out cold on video and dragging her out of the elevator, that Ray Rice's fiance was like, it's all good, boo? Y'all really believe that? It's not all about just because Greg Hardy plays for the Cowboys either. It's got a lot to do with it, but that's not the only thing at play here. I opine that it might be time for Sean Lee to hang it up. Some people just ain't built for it. I would always tend to err on the side of giving the backup quarterback job to whichever kid I were, was developing because I don't think the veteran gives you a much better chance of winning. Um, so I would love to always have one in the wings. Not only have we seen no growth from J.J. Wilcox, um, a player that I defended uh, as being you know better in coverage than, than public opinion uh, allowed for. And all we heard about was how Devin Street was ready to take over the second receiver position from Terrence Williams. And Terrence Williams was having a very strong camp. And Cole Beasley was going to catch 80 passes. None of that has happened. I got a whole lot of problems. Problems. This bottle of Patron that I'm on. Just add on to my problems. Riding with my nine gonna lead the most problems. Catch him, then I got him. Now I'm yo Every day is something new, but still I get my roll on. Gotta get this paper, baby. Never do I prolong. Strike, knock them down like pins. I get my bowl on. Survival of the fittest. Rider get rolled on. Swimming pool rules, boy. Diver get dove on. Mash, you get mashed on. Blast, I get blast on. Fly guy, I splash, you get splashed on. I'm standing on money. The cash is my platform. All right, all right, all right. You are now rocking with the best. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. I am your host, the one and only KD Drummond. I appreciate you taking a chunk out of your day to muse over our Dallas Cowboys and their hideous two and six record through the first half of the season. It has been a long, long, long two month stretch of NFL football. The season started out so promising. Opening day comeback victory against the Giants. Des Bryant. We say we can survive without Des Bryant and we spend the entire offseason talking about how great Terrence Williams and Devin Street are. We'll be okay. We lose Tony Romo in a victory, dominating victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. We tell ourselves, the Cowboys will be okay. All they have to do is survive. They've already got two games in the NFC East, two wins. They get a couple wins with a backup quarterback. All they have to do is hover around 500, and then Romo will come back for the stretch run. We'll be fine. The wins ain't got here yet, people. And it brings the Cowboys to the precipice of being eliminated pretty early in the season. They aren't there yet, but it's a possibility. So in that vein, what we're going to do today, I have a special treat for our listeners. What we're going to do today is have a Knights of the Roundtable discussion with the host of the Blog and the Boys podcast since I left the incomparable Landon McCool and Rabble Rouser, in addition to 
my co-hosts here on Cowboys Crunch Time, Keith Mullins and Joey Ikes. It is fantastic listening. We covered pretty much everything that you can cover about the Dallas Cowboys 2015 season, so much so that we couldn't contain it in one podcast. So here's what you're going to do. After you finish here, you're going to jump on over and check out their podcast because it contains the second half of the Knights of the Roundtable discussion. And you all know I coined the term Knights of the Roundtable. It covers who I believe are the best, the best of the non-professional writers and analysts of the Dallas Cowboys. What the Knights of the Roundtable do is they assess the team with a passion that national writers don't have for this team. And I've only selected over the years the best of the best. And you can kind of call this group of five Arthur's trusted confidence. These are the guys that I roll with. So it was my esteemed pleasure to chop it up with them for a couple hours to talk about any and everything Dallas Cowboys. You're really going to enjoy that segment. Before we get to that, though, we have to discuss the latest and greatest in news surrounding the team. They are not out of it. They're on life support, but they ain't out of it. If you head over to CowboysHQ.com, you'll find my article where I look at the NFC playoff possibilities. And Dallas is 15th out of 16 teams in the NFC with a unique situation of they lost their franchise quarterback for the first half, and not only is is he the franchise quarterback, he's an MVP candidate. He finished second last year. He should have won over Aaron Rodgers. We've been over that a million times. But this is truly the type of player that can change the fortunes of a franchise with his return. Is missing Tony Romo the only thing wrong with the Cowboys? Absolutely not. Last time I checked, a franchise quarterback still doesn't increase your interception total. Force fumbles, kick returns. All of these things are still going to be issues with the Cowboys that they need to solve, even with Tony Romo back. But it will be nice to get him back, and that'll happen not this game against Tampa Bay, but it will happen the following week against Miami. Along those lines, Tony Romo did not practice today. Basically, it's another Romo Wednesday. But he was joined on the injury report by a lot of people. If you remember, Des Bryant had a breakout game against the Eagles in his return, second game back. He hurt his knee on that Hail Mary. He missed practice today, but word is he has no issues. He's going to suit up. Anthony Hitchens hurt his ankle, fell on Rolando McClain. Nick Hayden, ankle issues. Barry Church, ankle issues. Bryce Butler, hamstring. Christian Michael and Rod Smith are both sick. None of those guys practice. Brandon Carr has a shoulder issue. Jeff Heath has a shoulder issue. They were limited. Other players were injured but had full participation. And, of course, that brings us to Sean Lee. 
Now, this might hurt a lot of Cowboys fans' feelings. So brace yourself. I'm over Sean Lee. Sean Lee is one of the most talented linebackers that I've ever seen play. But it's so rare that you see him play. The Cowboys' entire defensive philosophy seems to have been centered around Sean Lee playing. Now, don't get me wrong. They've made moves to try to augment the position. They obviously signed Orlando McClain last year and brought him back this year. They drafted Anthony Hitchens last year. They drafted Damian Wilson this year. We all know they were considering drafting Ryan Shazier with the pick that they selected Zach Martin with. They're not ignoring the position. But all in all, the Cowboys approached defense that centered around Sean Lee being Mr. Everything. And Sean Lee can't stay healthy. For the second time in five weeks, he now has a concussion issue after Rolanda McClain basically put a knee in his temple trying to make a tackle. Concussions are dangerous things. And immediately when it happened on Twitter, hopefully you're, hopefully you're following me, at KD Drummond NFL, I opined that it might be time for Sean Lee to hang it up. Some people just ain't built for it. He's a fantastic player, but he's been injured. I don't even remember a time when Sean Lee wasn't injured. Knack, concussions, toes, hands, ACLs. Am I missing anything? I don't think he's had a back issue. But it's gotten to the point where relying on him to be a major part of your offense just doesn't make any sense. Of your offense, listen to me. Of your defense. I caught myself. Don't talk trash about me. I can't hear you anyway. But the Cowboys are paying Sean Lee an outrageous amount of money to not play. He, uh, his, his contract was like $42 million extension. He's on the books until 2018, and he has basically $3 million of dead money, or prorated money, I should say, for 2016 and 2017 due to restructures. Another million in 2018. And I'm sorry, he's actually on the book until 2019, but there's no prorated bonus, so they can walk away from that deal. The point is, a lot of money, not a lot of return. And again, dynamic player. But for both him and the team, both of them need to be considering whether this is a time to say enough is enough. And it's painful because, once again, the Cowboys are going to have to go back to the well. But sometimes that's just how it is. So Sean Lee missed practice today. Chaz Green returned to practice, which is a good sign because, as we all know, the Cowboys can't plan on having Doug free forever. He struggled earlier in the year. 
I think he was still trying to get over his foot injury. The bye week did him well. But Doug Free is by far now the weakest link on the offensive line. And it would be very nice if the Cowboys were able to get something out of their third-round pick, Chaz Green. It doesn't have to be immediate. He's still on the reserved injured list, and the Cowboys, I believe, will have three weeks to get him up to speed to decide whether or not they're going to activate him or put him on permanent IR for the year. But with all the players that they passed up for that pick that had a lot of people scratching their heads, it sure would be nice to hear some good reports about how he's doing. Now, I've avoided talking about it so far this show, but before we get to the roundtable, I have to discuss something that completely pissed me off today. I'm scrolling my Twitter timeline, I'm going through, and it's this update and that update, and it's all copacetic, a lot of guys injured, a lot of fretting over where the team is, blah, blah, blah. And up pops up the newest breaking news. Deadspin has acquired the appeal process or the the uh, the documentation from Greg Hardy's dealings with the NFL. When an NFL team can go to the police and acquire the investigative photos. There's a serious issue of privacy. Now the NFL is leaking this information to Deadspin to smear Greg Hardy. And again, you've never heard me condone anything about Greg Hardy's actions. But this just once again shows how far down the rabbit hole the NFL seems to be. They make agreements on what punishments can be. They overpunish. They don't like the outcome of being slapped on the hand by the judicial system. So they want Greg Hardy to suffer more in the public eye because he needs to be punished in some sense. And this is a billion-dollar machine behind this, trying to create the pressure on the Cowboys to make a move and buckle under public pressure to walk away from this guy, despite the fact that the North Carolina court system gave him 60-day suspended sentence and then vacated it under appeal. It, it 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 makes very little sense. And that doesn't even involve aspect of this dealing with the fact of how many people in the past that are in the NFL have dealt with a domestic violence charge and don't seem to be getting the kind of scrutiny that Greg Hardy is getting. Caveat being... Things went to another level when Ray Rice and his video came out. But listen to people now talk about Ray Rice, about how deserving he is of another chance and how remorseful he is. Y'all believe that shit? 
Y'all really believe that after knocking her out cold on video and dragging her out of elevator, that Ray Rice's fiance was like, it's all good, boo? Y'all really believe that? Y'all really believe it wasn't, hey, we about to lose this NFL money. Let's come together on this agreement and make good for the cameras and trot you out there and have you talking about you, forgive me and all that. And people falling for it? Come on, son. Come on, son. Brandon Marshall got multiple domestic violence charges against him. He's a star of Inside the NFL. The league's flagship show for 30 years. He's a host. While playing. Come on, son. It's not all about just because Greg Hardy plays for the Cowboys either. It's got a lot to do with it, but that's not the only thing at play here. I'll leave it at that. I'm I'm done talking about it because this is supposed to be a great show and a positive show, but I had to get that off my chest. So, again, what we're doing today is recapping the first half of the Cowboys season because despite having the elite talent of Greg Hardy, the Cowboys defense fell apart against Philadelphia this past Sunday. The offense got their act together. There was one pick six that obviously hurt, but they scored enough points to win a game. The defense couldn't hold up this 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 week as compared to the previous two weeks when they'd only given up 13 points in each game. And the problem was the offense. So to discuss everything that's happened to get the Cowboys to the two and six record, again, I'm bringing on my guys, the Knights of the Round Table. My co-hosts, Keith Mullins and Joey Ikes, as well as the BTB podcasters, Landon McCool and Rabble Rouser. And it's phenomenal radio. You're going to enjoy every second of it. Before I cut over, let me tell you, direct yourself to your browsers, go to Twitter, and follow everybody. Keith Mullins, at Keith Deuces. Joey Ikes is at Joey Ikes. Landon McCool is at McCoolBTB. And Rabble is at, at Rabble Rouser. Go find them on Twitter. Give them a follow. Tell them KD sent you. And you will not be disappointed. And I'm going to prove it to you right now with part one of the Knights of the Roundtable discussion. Let's get it. All right, it is that time. We have reached that time for the first edition, the congregation of the Knights of the Round Table. We are going to join together the two best, dopest, most intellectual, most entertaining podcasts in the history of the Cowboys Nation universe, BTB and CHQ together, Crunch Time and Double Trouble, Landon McCool, Rabble Rouser, Keith Mullins, Joey Ikes and myself, KD Drummond, are here to talk any and everything about the Dallas Cowboys. Gentlemen, one by one, I would like to thank you for joining us here today. My man, Landon, how are you doing, sir? Excellent. Glad to be here. My man, Keith Mullins, check in. Outstanding in every way, sir. How are you? You are always outstanding in every way, and I love that. (laughs) Joey Ikes, where are you at? It is always a pleasure, my friend. 
and my man Rabble Rouser rounding it out. How are you, sir? You know I like nothing better than to talk Cowboys football with you, KD. It is a great time to be a Cowboys fan. Who the hell am I kidding? This is horrible. The Cowboys are 2-6 and six right now. They are in next to last place in the NFC, and any and everything that has gone wrong for the season pretty much has. I've said it over and over again on Twitter. I've said it in the articles. This team seems to be snake bit. But regardless, they still have a chance. And with that chance, we have to. We have to do our due diligence and make sure that we examine any and everything about this team. So let's get it started. For our listeners out there, we're going to do two sessions, one for Cowboys HQ, one for BTB, all original content. It's what you need. It's what you love. So without further ado, let's get this thing started. I will first turn the microphone over to my man, Joey Ikes, to lead us off with our first roundtable question. All right, fellas. Um, Looking back, first eight games of the year at the midpoint, which position group excluding the quarterback, of course, that's not even fair, has has not met your expectations, either exceeding or falling short of what you expected to see through eight games from a certain position group, offense or defense. Uh, Ravel, go ahead and lead it off. No pressure at all, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there are, I think there are a lot of candidates. Um, and I think, you know, a couple of weeks ago, my answer would have been different. But right now, I would say... Uh, my answer is the linebacking unit. You know, one of the things that we were looking forward to in the offseason when the when the news first trickled out that Sean Lee was going to be moved to the will was this this glorious moment when Rolando McClain was going to man the middle and just the way he did in 2014 by being a kind of beast who could take on guards. And Sean Lee was going to run untouched thanks to our new and improved defensive line, run untouched to ball carriers all season long and have something like 270 tackles on the season. And, um, you know, I I really thought that I really thought, and I think a lot of people would agree with me that they were going to be uh, an elite playmaking unit. And other than Sean Lee's performance in week two against the Eagles, I just don't think we've seen that. Uh, You know, McLean has looked old and tired and a step slow and, Lee hasn't been the same player since his first concussion against the Saints. And, uh, you know, they just haven't been playmakers. They haven't, they haven't been difference makers. And so um, I'd have to say that for me, that's, that's the unit. What about you, Landon? Well, I mean, I think linebackers was probably my answer too, but I, I, in order to kind of switch this up for a little bit better radio, I, I'm going to say that I, I, I've been disappointed with the play of the defensive tackles to some certain degree. Um, I think that there was a lot of expectation, uh, and there's been a lot of expectation uh, for Crawford, and I think Crawford has played uh, relatively well, probably not quite up to uh, the standard that we kind of thought for him, especially with uh, a full cadre of defensive ends on the outside of, at the moment that he's had those. Um I, you know, I think Nick Hayden has played okay, but I, I really just thought that, you know, with Terrell McClain and with, you know, obviously this is in the preseason, with Terrell McClain and with the guys that we had with Crawford and both Crawfords and with uh, with uh, Golden Cock, as as we've all loved to call him, <laughs> um, I, I really felt like I really felt like it was going to be a, an upgraded unit a little bit just because I thought Crawford with another year would be better. I thought Jack Crawford was going to perform uh uh, at a one tech position, even a little bit more, which we haven't really seen. And I thought Terrell McLean was by this time going to be able to take over 
the uh, starting one tech position from uh, GC, but you know it just hasn't played out that way. Obviously, McLean's injury uh, is contributed a huge part to that, and then on top of that, I think the teams are focusing on Crawford, and and he's he's still affecting the play. He's still getting penetration. He's still taking on double teams and 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 you know making tackles at times. But I just think that we haven't seen the level of output that uh, that we wanted to see from those guys uh, when we first came into. And Keith? Um, I would say the secondary. Uh, so I was certainly hopeful that we would see uh, continued growth uh, at the safety position, even though I think we all agreed that he's been playing uh, out of position, but that we would see J.J. Wilcox, who uh, you know, documented at length that he played one season at a small school at safety as an offensive conversion that, uh, that the angles would, would continue to come more naturally to him at the safety position and that he would be, you know, the biggest playmaker uh, in that group on the back end. Um, the unfortunate truth is that he still might be. And, 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 that, <laughs> and, that, and that's a, uh, a resounding indictment of uh, the rest of the folks back there. So while, while you've gotten decent play uh, from various people, uh, you know, I think that, in, in certain coverages, obviously, uh, you know, Carr has been effective when he's in phase with receivers, which we've seen before. But you're, you're employing two corners and a safety in Mo, Carr, and Barry Church that make a habit of not touching footballs. And, uh, and that problem certainly has uh, materialized in one of the least predict- predictable aspects of defense. But this is a defense that survived on turnovers a year ago. And this year, uh, we've seen that worm completely turn, and they're producing none. And so uh, the best player by far is your first-round rookie, and, uh, and that's a great thing. But the fact that nobody else is making any plays on the back end uh, certainly has been glaring, and it's been one of the things that's allowed teams to come back uh, when the Cowboys have managed to be in games uh, and, at an even position or when they've been in leading uh, here as they've, as they've sort of muddled through with a backup quarterback the failure to make any plays and give, you know, set up a short field or, or give any opportunities, additional opportunities to the offense has certainly uh, been a large contributor in this losing streak. And KD, now that there's nobody left on the defense, now that the entire defense is taken, <laughs> the, the, the floor, the floor is yours. Good, sir. Yeah, it, exactly. Because that just shows you how deep this goes beyond the loss of Tony Romo for the season, that every single level of the defense was just nominated and it made sense. That that goes to show how troubled this team is and a little bit scary, even though everybody's hoping that when Romo returns that it's magically turns around, but it's not necessarily the case because of all of these holes. I was completely prepared to say linebacker. I was completely prepared to say secondary. Uh, I love the defensive tackle position uh, being, being nominated, but I'm going to flip to the other side of the ball because the wide receivers have been the most disappointing group Preach. compared to what we thought was going to happen. Because during the offseason, remember, Des Bryant missed time with his, with his uh, leg injury, and all we heard about was how Devin Street was ready to take over the second receiver position from Terrence Williams. And Terrence Williams was having a very strong camp, and Cole Beasley was going to catch 80 passes. None of that has happened. <laughs> None of that has come close to happening. We've seen, without Des Bryant being on the field, that these are pedestrian receivers. And nothing exemplifies it more than Des Bryant coming back and being a real threat in this last game against Philly. And all of a sudden, Cole Beasley has the best game of his career. So not to knock 
Beasley because I think he is the best of the others, and he is definitely serviceable in that slot receiver role. But the fact that Terrence Williams proved he can't step up and be a number one, and he hasn't gotten over the body catcher issue, so he's not even really a number two. Devin Street is still nowhere to be found. He's been outplayed by Bryce Butler, who they traded for in season with Oakland. They have a receiver that was playing for Oakland, getting meaningful snaps. That right there tells you how disappointing this entire group has been. So for me uh, to go away from the linebackers, because we all know what we thought Sean Lee and Roe McClain were going to be, the wide receiver position is, is the pits right now outside of Des Bryant. And that's truly disappointing from where we thought we were going to be to start the season. Stuff. All right, so I, I might have gotten a little long-winded with that, but that's okay because we can edit it out later, and that's the magic of podcasting and radio. <laughs> We're going to quickly turn it around and give the microphone to my man, Keith, for his first question to the roundtable. Absolutely. Gentlemen, uh, as he has moved from an NFL outpost in Carolina to the center of the NFL universe in Dallas, and uh, and in doing so, gone from locally famous to infamous uh, in circles beyond the NFL and its, and its fans. Uh, I ask, four games into the uh, Greg Hardy experience, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is, is what we've had to tolerate uh, ourselves on social media? <laughs> uh, is Jerry Jones tired of, you know, at some point, if there is no reward, do people get tired of being called a horrible human. Uh, so at, at this point, how do you think the club feels about the acquisition of Greg Hardy? And do you think that the results this year play it all into whether or not they decide to retain him beyond this one season? And uh, Landon, let's start with you. Oh, God. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, to answer your your second question first, I, I, I do think uh, that the results uh, will affect – uh, to a certain degree, but maybe not to the, to the severe degree that some people think, the, whether or not Greg Hardy will be resigned. Um, I think it'll be a factor, but I don't think it'll be the deciding factor. Let's put it that way. Um, I think that the juice is definitely worth the squeeze. Um, but I also, even though you <laughs> have all watched me, <laughs> I'm sure, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, arguing quite a bit, uh, uh, you know, the the facts of the case and, and all this and all that. Uh, and, you know, I throw up my hands a lot as, as I'm sure the rest of you do as well with, with a lot of this stuff. Um, I think that at the end of the day, uh, I, in my mind, want to make my decisions based on what happens on the field. And I, I, I know that this is one of those cases where it's, it's almost impossible to do that exclusively because, you know, as, as, much as any case possibly can, this case kind of bleeds onto the field a little bit just because it may affect certain people's headspaces and all that. But in my mind, look, I mean, the production that he's put out by himself in the games he's played has been outstanding. And uh, in, if you look at how uh, meager the rest of the output has been from the Rushman, I think that if you can afford to re-sign him, He's still he's less than 27 years old. I think you're still getting uh, uh, one of the top pass rushers in the entire league, and you can never run out of good pass rushers in my mind. So I tend to look the other way on the the other stuff, and as long as he's not any more repeat offenses, which you, you can only hope for, I think it's worth signing him to probably like a three-year deal, something to get you 
to the point where you know, you you probably have to make a decision between him and Randy Gregory by the time Randy's rookie deal is up. Very good, and Joey. Well, uh, I think we've all been in a in a somewhat of a similar position, and I I I took the I guess you'd call it initiative, or was stupid enough, or however you want to say it, to to go figure out more in depth detail about the case than what has been published in, in just about most in, in almost any place out there. I'd like to say uh, stupid uh, enough, please. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, yeah. I vouch <laughs> stupid enough. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, uh, uh, and so uh, I. I made that decision because I wanted to understand it. And then the more and more that I learned about it, I realized that more and more, that more people than just me needed to understand it, but they weren't going to go spend the time to do it. So I, I, I put it together and I put it out there and, and somewhat because of that, I, there every, basically every time a new piece of information or a new situation occurs there as there is for all of us, but I feel like I, I take a little bit extra of it. There's a significant wave of 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 social media and that sort of thing that, that kind of comes in my direction, and and frankly, I really don't care. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's just it's because because my I mean, you turn off Twitter, you go you go down and you sit with your kids and you spend time with them and you forget about it and you let people rant and rave and scream, and and at the end in the end, it's not my decision to make. All I did was provide the information. It, it it comes down to Jerry Jones. It comes down to Jason Garrett. It comes down to Stephen Jones. It comes down to Charlotte Jones Anderson and, and and the people in the organization. And it from my perspective, they made the decision with whatever amount of due diligence they did, whatever amount of consideration for on and off field things they said. Uh, then they. They made that decision, including all of that information. Um, if if they again make the decision after spending an immense amount of time with this person over the course of almost twelve months, by then, if, if they make that decision at that point that he has been the type of individual that makes it worth all of the other stuff whether it's because he's making progress personally as an individual that's not being made public because that doesn't seem to be the way that Greg wants it to happen. Um, or if they decide that the production, a sack a game is the average that he's had throughout his career and has continued to here in his four games. Uh, if they decide that it's worth it, and I believe that the production is worth it, then, then, then you go ahead and, and Jerry Jones has never caved. The one time Jerry Jones has caved to outside pressure on something off the field was when he didn't draft Randy Moss. And if you don't, if you think Jerry Jones doesn't regret that decision every day of his life, you're crazy. Uh, and so I have a very, very hard time believing that Jerry Jones is going to cave to outside people uh, based on their perception of what's going on in the building with, with Greg Hardy. Very good. Rabble. Uh, a couple things. Uh, you know, people raked Jerry Jones over the coals after he came out, you know, after the after the uh, photographic evidence was released, after he came out and kind of reminded everyone or state wanted to state publicly that, that Greg Hardy was a leader. People all scoffed at that. But, you know, one of the things that really struck both Landon and I when we went to training camp this year was the fact that this dude practices harder at camp than most people play in the playoffs. He 
he works so incredibly hard. And, you know, you, I combined that with the story that came out from the offseason, from the, like, oh, maybe it was from the offseason program, where he basically, you know, he just arrived in Dallas and he called out, he called out Devon Coleman for not working hard enough. And then they had, ended up having a scuffle because Devon Coleman called him a, you know, wife beater or something like that. But, you know, this guy prepares and, and as hard and as violently as you can, he does, he, he works his tail off. He cares. He's a smart player. He, he's like Charles Haley in that way. He's a really smart, smart player. He understands. I mean, if you watch it, if you watch his hand placement, you know, he's a smart player. He understands leverage, he understands hand placement. And um, that's the kind of person you, you, you need, you need those kind of people, regardless of what he's doing off the field. You need those kind of people who have that kind of attitude, who, ha- who play violently and practice violently to bring, to bring that kind of physicality to practice, you know, in week 10 uh, or on a, on a Friday after you've just had a, had, a, had a particularly physical game and everyone's kind of dragging. And the other thing, one, one more quick comment is that I think if anything, this, this has changed is not their desire to re-sign him, but their desire to re-sign him before he goes on the market. It may be that what they they do now is they allow the market to dictate the terms more so than try to um, bid against themselves because the truth of the matter is this may have made him untouchable to a lot of teams and then get they can get him for cheaper than they might if they had, if they had to negotiate uh, only with themselves. And that's a great point. And last and never least, Mr. KD Drummond. Yeah, let, let's cut the shenanigans. This team has no pass rush without Greg Hardy. Mm-hmm. Period. Point blank. None. They have none. I mean, they have a hodgepodge of guys that are, you know, able to do their thing every once in a while, but he is the only one in the last two seasons, probably more than that, that has been able to con- to create consistent pressure. They're not getting rid of that. It's not going to happen. So you can, you know, come up with all of the reasons and uh, there there's a lot of valid ones to, to talk about with the Greg Hardy situation, but talking about strictly on the field, there's no way that the Cowboys are walking away from him as long as there isn't another incident. Because why would they? They've weathered the storm already. There's nothing else that can come out about Greg Hardy that is going to now add on to this unless there's a new incident, unless there's a audio recording of him talking sh- – Talking trash, I forgot. There's, you know, <laughs> multi-platform uh, podcast here. There, un- unless there's an audio recording of him talking trash about, you know, beating beating the woman, we we've gotten it all. We've seen the doctored photos on Deadspin where they gave it the O.J. Simpson treatment and made it much dark and and more murky in order to have the effect compared to what the pictures really looked like for the police evidence and for the NFL investigation. So we've basically gone to the extent of what we can see with this situation. And why would you weather that storm and take on that brunt only to pass him on to another team to uh, reap the rewards of his outstanding talent? And the, and the man is an outstanding talent. He's played in four games. He has four sacks. He has an interception. He has a fumble. All three of those things lead or tied for the lead for the Cowboys, and he's only played half of the games. There's no way they're walking away from Greg Hardy. It's just not happening. Oh yeah, that's me again. See this? <laughs> and, and you know, before before that segment started, I was all prepared to go seamlessly. I knew it was going to come to me, and I was all prepared to handle it seamlessly. And I dropped the mic. So, the next person up to the stage to ask his question to the roundtable is Sir Landon McCool. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, gentlemen, who is your personal recipient of the 
Fallen from Grace Award, and this would be the personal favorite who has disappointed the most through the first half of the season. Uh, and I think we'll we'll switch it up a little bit, and we'll start with Rabble. Oh, man, I was thinking you were going to say I'll sorry. switch it up and start sorry, with KD because he's been going last all the time. No, 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 no. I was back with my hands up behind my head going, all right. No, 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 no. We're taking pot shots. You, you're, you're up, buddy. Oh, man. Um personal favorite that's disappointed there are so many uh <laughs> yeah there really are and you can't say me okay that's, that's uh well hold on let me you go know I, th- I think i think what i'm gonna, i'm gonna have to go this way uh, and i i think it's you know this is going back to our first question and what kd was saying about the wide receivers uh i never i mean i don't i don't i was never under any illusion that Terrence Williams was going to be a quote unquote number one receiver. You know, I think he's a, he's a, he's a complimentary niche receiver. He does what he does really well. And uh, that said, he has been getting better. Derek Dooley, you know, uh, even though, even though the receiving has been uh, exposed in some ways since, since Des Bryant was hurt, uh, Derek Dooley has done a really great job in, in terms of improving his, research, his receiving unit every year. They get slightly better every year, and the players get better every year. And, you know, the Terrence Williams that I saw at camp, the Terrence Williams who had a command and a confidence and a kind of a sense of authority, um, he had a bravado, a braggadocio even wow. that, I, that I saw that I saw at camp. <laughs> oh you know, wow! I, I really thought that he had was had taken the next step. Not not that he was ever going to be a Des Bryant, but that he had taken the next step. And you know, it's so important. Receiver play, it's so important to play with confidence. And so to see that confidence wilt when the, the second Bryant got hurt, you know, I mean. Maybe maybe the second isn't fair because he actually had a decent rest of the Giants game when Romo was in there, and then um, played pretty well in the Eagles game. He obviously made the big the big play that sealed the game, but in the in the ensuing games, to, to sort of watch him shrivel and shrink, and to shy away from big plays, uh, you know, at, at the exact moment when he seemed poised to take the next step as a playmaking entity, I I, I have to say I've been tremendously disappointed by that. Excellent choice, sir Keith. Ah, the aforementioned J.J. Wilcox. Yes. Mm. Uh, so, uh, and and J.J. didn't just fool me, uh, because you're looking at a team that felt quite comfortable carrying, really, I don't know, uh, if you're optimistic, you could say that they carried three actual safeties into the season, um, and, and a special teams player. Uh, I would probably argue they went with two safeties and two special teams <laughs> players. But, uh, but, uh, so, uh, you know, I think that it's an indictment on self-scouting as an organization a little bit. But, uh, but really, uh, not only have we seen no growth from J.J. Wilcox, um, a player that I defended uh, as being, you know, better in coverage than, than public opinion uh, allowed for and, and who I uh, assigned a certain up-and-to-the-right uh, curve of growth uh, that would continue into 2015. And not only has that growth uh, been blunted, but if anything, maybe there's even been regression. Um, you know, we're seeing, we're not seeing any plays on the football. And I think it's certainly been true that the more green that, uh, that JJ's asked to cover and he has exemplary range, he certainly gets there physically, uh, but arrives out of control, out of position, uh, at hyper aggressive angles that don't allow him to break down and make a tackle, 
and uh, or make a play on the football. And so the results have been overwhelmingly negative uh, since I guess the hit on Beckham in, in the opener that uh, that I thought was going to uh, perhaps foretell things to come and that growth, and maybe we'd have a tone-setting hitter. And uh, and really, we've gotten nothing since um, uh, from that position. And so and now you know we hear today that we're looking at JJ moving, and we saw it last week, of course, but JJ moving to the bench in the base for Byron Jones. Yep. And then, of course, in the nickel, Byron, Byron coming up and playing the slot uh, position with Skandrick out. But, uh, but so this is a guy that obviously the club uh, had great or made a great bet on in terms of being a starter uh, at the free safety spot until they could address it further and, you know, doesn't make it to all the way to the halfway mark before um, he's lost his job. And so, uh, so JJ Wilcox for me would be the one that, uh, and especially given the fact that, uh, that I mounted a bit of a defense uh, on social media that, uh, that has certainly come back to bite me a bit. Mr. Drummond. Uh, it's gotta be Tyler Klutz. That's my guy. I love fullbacks. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler, Tyler Klutz is it for me, man. I, I can't believe that the Cowboys have neglected going to Mr. Klutz more often than they have because he takes up such a valuable space on the roster. I got to stop this. Yes, please. I, please. I mean, I don't know how you kept a straight face this whole time. No, I was man. looking for the sarcasm font. On that one. Yeah, exactly. I, I, trust me, I was typing sarcasm, sarcasm while I was talking. But for me, it has to be Ryan Williams mm. because mm. – Ryan Williams not being able to recover from his offseason knee injury forced me onto Team Randall. I didn't want to be on Team Randall. <laughs> team Randall isn't where I wanted to be. I was Team Williams. And I was so disgusted with the idea that the team would go and sign Darren McFadden, who doesn't fit in the ZBS. He never will fit in the ZBS. We can talk about that later. But that the team had signed him that I, I was so opposed to that and obviously I'm eating crow, no problem. But I had to migrate to Team Randall because Team Williams didn't exist anymore. I really thought that he was the true running back for this running back by committee after they didn't draft a guy uh, in April. Mistake. Uh, well, pseudo mistake because a lot of the rookie runners haven't really panned out the way that we envisioned. Um, but I really thought that Ryan Williams, out of the veterans that were going to be on the team, was going to be the one and end up winning the competition. And he never even got a chance to compete. So that's my fall from grace because I really did think that the Cowboys had made a tremendous move signing him, letting him sit out the year, rehabilitate the knee. But some players just aren't built to withstand the rigors of the NFL game, Sean Lee. And Mm -hmm. it looks like Ryan Williams is one of those guys. And his career is pretty much over from this point on. And finally, Coach Ikes. um, I I think KD teased mine a little bit uh, in that that probably be Sean Lee at this point. Um, it, and it, it's hard because, uh, I mean, he's still the, probably one of the top two or three players on the defense when he's playing, whether he, whether he's healthy or not. But we just haven't seen, like you said earlier, uh, we haven't seen the, the playmaking kind of dominant force in the center of the defense, Sean Lee, that we saw in the past. 
since the first concussion. And then we see him literally get put to sleep in the middle of a game by there's I saw on Twitter Broadus talking to arguing with a bunch of people about which part of Rolando McLean's body it was that that caused the the injury but either way he he got put to sleep in the middle of the game by his own teammate uh on the first play of the third quarter and uh and just at this point you have to start thinking about like long-term cognitive health and you have to start thinking about, okay, is this a cascading thing that continues to happen? We saw it with Rolando McLean last year where he'd get a concussion and then he'd recover all the way through the week. And then he'd come in and halfway through the game, he'd have symptoms again, or he he'd suffer another one, something like that. And he'd have to miss. And is this something that that they're going to have to manage these concussions and they, They've they've managed his injury situations his entire career basically, but this year he he's been able to for the most part manage that outside of this concussion thing, uh, which is something that at the, as a linebacker I mean Keith can speak to this as much as anybody uh, as a linebacker there's virtually no way to remove the 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 danger and the possibility and the likelihood of concussions from the position when you're playing that spot. So uh, it, it, it's very difficult to now look at him and, and think about the fact that he there's a very significant likelihood he's going to be a shell of himself for the rest of the season. And then uh, from, from that point on, uh, who knows what happens with him from there. I relinquish to you, KD. All right, we've we've reached the point where I'm going to have to ask you guys questions and pretend like, you know, it's a normal situation. It's going to be a little bit, a little bit hard for everybody to to get a grip on this one because I know how strongly you support all of you, the Cowboys methodology of approaching the quarterback position. But I'll ask it anyway. Um for me myself, when I look at this season, we all know as Keith can attest to, we talk about it almost every week on, on, on crunch time quarterback. The quarterback comparison is basically the thing that wins the game for the most part. And when you have a backup quarterback, you're just not going to win the majority of the games that your team plays for some strange reason under the Romo era, the team has been committed to veteran backups as opposed to drafting a guy. They've only drafted Stephen McGee. That didn't work out very well. They gave up on drafting quarterbacks. And now here we are, a six-game losing streak with six games started by stopgap veterans, a washed-out first-rounder, a backup that hasn't been able to hang on at any team. And my question to you guys is, how horribly have the Cowboys managed the quarterback position outside of having the find of Tony Romo? And I have to give the microphone first to my man, Keith. Well, uh, my my feelings on backup quarterbacks, I feel like, are well documented. Um, uh, when it comes to backup quarterbacks, uh, they're not even their own mother's favorite quarterback. So, uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it's it's certainly it's the only position in the NFL that's staffed exclusively by players that are underqualified to play the position, and uh, it's the only job that's available of its kind. And so. Uh, so, so certainly I, I tend to think, or at least I, I balk at the, uh, at the assertion that we see so much uh, that the Cowboys should have had a different backup quarterback. Um, and by that, I mean the veteran backup, right? Especially, in particular, the career backup, uh, because I 
typically believe that given a large enough sample size, uh, they all lose. Um, you know, it's just it's too much of a mountain, uh, too much of a gulf between the team and victory when a backup quarterback faces a viable starting NFL quarterback. And certainly we've seen, uh, you know, something of a murderer's row, more to come, but uh, uh, in terms of the quarterbacks the Cowboys have faced, right? So we've, we've seen backups lose to Matt Ryans and Drew Brees and so, uh, so, and Tom Brady. So, uh, so certainly uh, the, the gap in quarterback talent is one there that even if you had selected a different backup, you'd probably see the same thing. And I think it was Brad Sham, the illustrious uh, voice of the Cowboys that tweeted this week that teams, including Dallas, uh, are five and 26 with backup quarterbacks at the helm this season. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and so I think that, that at least I'll borrow that statistic because it supports my point. Uh, but, uh, but the, the point being that for every time someone draws a circle around Pittsburgh winning with Landry Jones, I ask, you know, who did they beat, especially in terms of who the opposing quarterback was. And, and so I think uh, in terms of where you headed with the question, could the Cowboys have drafted a young guy? And to that, I would say yes. And so for me, um, I would always tend to err on the side of giving the backup quarterback job to whichever kid I were, was developing, because I don't think the veteran gives you a much better chance of winning. Um, so I would love to always have one in the wings and have that guy be my clipboard caddy. And so I think they're um, not indifferent to the position, but certainly the fact that they could devote draft resources in other directions uh, rather than draft one when they felt like they had a franchise guy in place. Um, might have hurt at this moment because I think that at least over the last two seasons uh, is probably when I've started crowing louder about taking one high and, uh, and you'll hear it again. So just, uh, you know, buckle up buttercup for draft <laughs> because I'm going to be talking about first round quarterbacks all over again. But, uh, but yeah, so I think it's time uh, to have one close. The quarterback wilderness is something that keeps me up at night. Uh, a good many nights. I'm certainly, I'm old enough to remember it. Um, we can run through the, the, the no. wonderful name. No, but, no, uh, please no, don't. Can't. And, uh, we cannot. I'm sure everyone can no. sign him. I wasn't going to do it. We don't have that much time. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, at, but at any rate, uh, yes, I, I, I think that having a, a young developing player on hand would be lovely. But uh, on the other side of that coin, if you lose your starting quarterback for eight weeks, it ends your season. Um, and I think that, you know, nine times out of ten or better, that's going to be true. Only the fact that it happens so early – uh, the fact that they had two division wins in their pocket and this division is abysmal um, is the only reason that we're still having any sort of positive conversations about the Cowboys season. And we're not already talking about those first round quarterbacks. If you want to talk about them though, we'll get you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to turn the microphone now over to my man rabble for this one. You know, you were talking about backup quarterbacks, uh, Keith and it, and uh, the fact that, that they're like you know the the most under uh, unqualified position in sports and the only one i can think of that compares is like the left-handed middle reliever you know where these guys are are you know they're they're guys who just really don't belong in in the sport anyway so a couple a couple points here um a thought experiment is what would this team have what would have happened during this stretch if they had for example traded for matt castle back in february i mean part of me wonders is he seems to be getting his feet under him would it have made a difference and by a difference i don't mean would they've gone you know uh five and one over this stretch that's ridiculous but would they have gone two and four 
Well, they've even got one in five. Uh, part, part of me does wonder what would have happened if, if, if they hadn't been teaching him the offense the entire time he was starting. Um, but aside from that, I, I actually understand the Cowboys' position vis-a-vis spending draft resources, especially high-pick draft resources on a quarterback because – you know, you're trying to build a team around your, your franchise guy, A, and, and, and so do you want to, you know, do you want to build a team around him by spending your, your most precious draft capital on a guy who's not going to play? You, you know, you, you hope he's not going to play. And can, can you even really develop a guy, a young kid, when you have a starter who's, you know, let's say he stays healthy? To me, to me, it makes a lot more sense to try to, to try to spend your first and second rounders on guys who are actually going to play. Um, now, while, while I think you, you, you want to try take flyers on guys from the fourth round on as, as in the way the Green Bay Packers used to, and at least, you know, try to flip that draft capital, that, that makes perfect sense to me. But I think that there's a, I really do think that you kind of just have to wait till your guy's gone and then you start spending first rounders on, and, 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 and hope you get one right. And I think the other thing about that is that so many first round, you know, high premium picks are spent on quarterbacks who don't pan out. And so I understand, I totally understand why they're gun shy because it's the biggest crapshoot there is. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there are a few, fewer way, a few less, um, I mean, I mean, how do I phrase this? There are a few more effective ways to derail uh, the growth of a roster than to spend a premium pick on a quarterback. that doesn't pan out. Um, but uh, other than that, I totally agree with Keith. The, the, the drop-off from starter to, to replacement level is so vast, especially when you're talking about a top three guy. And I think we can really talk about Romo, the way he's been playing through t- 2014 into the beginning of this year as a top three guy. It's, Ro- it's Romo, it's Rodgers, and it's Brady. And those are the three best quarterbacks in the league right now. And I don't think, that, I don't think that's really even debatable. And um, so when you lose one of those guys, you're, you're done. As you said, the season is over. When, when Romo went down, I turned to my wife and I said, there's the season. It's that simple. There's a season. You, 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 can't, you, you can't survive that. And the only reason that they have a chance is because, much like Green Bay and Rodgers in, I think it was 2012, he's coming back before the end of the year. Imagine this happens in game 10 when they're 8-2. and two. Then you're done. You have no chance because he's not coming right. back before the end. And, and you know, you're completely screwed. So the only reason we have any hope is because it happened so damn early. Um, but historically, it's, just, it's simply not something you, you can recover from. There are no there are no Earl Morals out there anymore. <laughs> All right, my man Landon, what do you think? Well, I, I you know to answer your question immediately, I, I think they've done a terrible job, but I also think that all 32 teams have done basically a terrible job, and I think mm. the reason of this is because of a lot of factors that people aren't accounting, and I think these are just just a, a slight list, and I, just bear with me because I want to just put the landscape out there. I think. The CBA, offensive line play, the uh, development of the spread in college football, and the continuing variation in NFL offenses all play a very key role in why it is increasingly more difficult to try and develop a younger quarterback. Without snaps, without uh, game experience, it's, it's very difficult to get any quarterback up to speed in any offense uh, much less a, a kid who's coming out of, of college who ha, you know hasn't seen the speed, hasn't seen the level of players, has run probably a way more simple offense, uh, and you know is not worrying about the you know four best athletes he's ever seen coming at him with their hair on fire. So 
I tend to think that the NFL in total has a huge, huge quarterback problem. And I think the factors that I just mentioned make it difficult for any team to develop a quarterback of any kind. I think, you know, there's lots of people out there who want to point to the Ron Wolf quarterback, you know, idea of drafting a quarterback every year and developing him. But unfortunately, the problem is, is with the um, the limitations that the CBA puts yeah, on no us, practice time, yeah. there, there's just not the amount of time anymore to get these guys out there and to get enough snaps in, in real life situations. And because that's, the, I think, the thing that, that's uh, the common misconception is that, you know, practice snaps don't really mean anything when you're an NFL quarterback. You need to be on the field and seeing the speed at the at the speed that a real live game is happening in order for you to get any kind of reps. That's why Tony and these guys, you know, it's you know, it's kind of fruitless, but it's still they're doing the best they can. That's why they do all these practices like it's a game because you know, otherwise it's completely pointless to even go through this exercise, right? And and you know, we we discussed it when we talked about Tony uh, coming back last week on our podcast, is there the the is Tony going to be able to come in and, and deal with the speed of the game right away? And that's Tony Romo, who's been in this system for seven, eight years, and has played in the NFL for ten years. Like, you know, uh, to try to get a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback to come in and do that is is difficult as it is, and with limited practice time, even more difficult. So, long story short, I tend to think that a veteran quarterback is probably a better way to help you win. Uh, you know, if you're talking about three or four games or something like that. Uh, but at this point, with Romo gone for so long, it may have been nice just because it would have been an, uh, provided the rare opportunity for one of our young quarterbacks, if we had one, to come in and get some real-life game snaps and get some real-life game experience. So I, I think they've done not a great job, but I also think that the NFL in general is in a spot where – teams don't really know what the best method is for developing a quarterback, and they're all just throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks. All right, and finally, we turn the mic over to my man, Joey Ikes. Okay. Uh, well, um, KD, you, you wrote a, a wonderful uh, wonderful post at CowboysHQ.com. I encourage you to go read it. Um, it, it, it detailed the, the playoff landscape and, and, and for the Cowboys at the mid-pole and all this kind of stuff. One of the pieces of information you included in there is a wonderful table that I have in front of me uh, of all of the, I, assuming that this is backup quarterbacks who weren't the starter at the beginning of the year, who, who have started a game since the beginning of the year and their record. Uh, and I'm not sure where Mr. Sham got his numbers from, uh, but the numbers that KD has in front of me here are, are 7 and 18 for backup quarterbacks, including the, including the performance of the Cowboys. Uh, oh, and six, uh, and and the only four. Well, there's five backup quarterbacks out of it. Looks like maybe thirteen. I, if yep. I could count better, that'd be better. Five yep, out of thirteen. Thirteen have won a game, and I'm going to read these names to you, uh, and we'll see if we can kind of put these five guys into some tranches. We have Matt Hasselbeck, we have Ryan Mallett. We have Johnny Manziel, we have Michael Vick, and we have Blaine freaking Gabbert. <laughs> um, so, so in my opinion, those guys fit in in one of really two or three categories. And and the first category is 
the old washed up starter who there's no way you want him to start 16 games for you anymore. And that's Matt Hasselbeck and Mike Vick. And then there's the guy who's just about as good as the other starter or the other guy that we have who's starting, but there's some other question, whether character wise or other off field wise that causes us not to make them our primary starter or Blaine Gabbard. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, so, and, and the only guys in this list that have won multiple games, and let's see, there's one, two, three, four, this is horrible radio, five, six, seven, eight, eight of the 13 ha- have started multiple games. Only two of those eight have won more than one game. Those two are Matt Hasselbeck and Mike Vick. And it, it goes back, it points back to what to what Landon was saying a minute ago, uh, in that you can practice all you want. But, I mean, we see these quarterbacks all the time come out of college with horrible mechanics. And they go through the off-season programs and the training programs, and they come into the combine and their pro days with brand-new throwing motions, and they look beautiful. And then you get them on the field in the NFL and they immediately regress back to what they were in college because mechanics is a byproduct. And, and Sigmund Bloom of football guys talks about this all the time. Mechanics and operating within a game is a byproduct of your mentality, your mindset, and your ability to function within the chaos that is an NFL game. Uh, another guy from football guys, Matt Waldman calls, uh, calls playing quarterback in the NFL the equivalent of playing chess and a barroom brawl. And, and so, I mean, by having a guy who has started numerous games in the NFL, a, a, a significant number of games in the NFL as your backup quarterback, what you have is a guy who has seen every situation, has run a two-minute drill successfully before, has gone against odd fronts and even fronts and mixed coverages and inverted cover two and, and the, the different blitz packages that they're going to see and called protections and all these sorts of things before that you're going to throw in mid-season without many reps and say go. The only, of course, the only way that you're going to develop a quarterback long-term really is to get him into games. But if you're in the middle of a season the way the Cowboys are, where they're trying to win a Super Bowl, the only way that you sustain yourself is to have that veteran guy who started significant games. And they made the move to one over the last three games. They, they made the move for Matt Castle because they immediately knew. They went a different direction with, with Brandon Whedon. People say, oh, it's the same way they went with the cheap – veteran guy who's been around for a while backup quarterback but it's the guy had started what 28 games 20 games in the nfl or something like that mm-hmm. that's barely that's barely a sample size for an nfl quarterback a former first round pick that was cut by his team in his third year at the end of his second year that's a like that's a completely different direction than the direction they'd gone in the past from these guys who had started games in the nfl and each one of these guys at different times came in and with in a relative sense, gave them the chance to win the game because they weren't deficient at the quarterback position. And I think you could say that over the course of the last few weeks, and you could argue the exception of the Seattle game, but that's Seattle. They do that to starting quarterbacks. Uh, they, They have been in a position offensively to be able to win these games 
if first against the Giants games, if you don't get the kickoff return for a touchdown and a muff punt, and against uh, against the Eagles, if you don't have kind of the defensive breakdowns in, in the fourth quarter in overtime. Uh, so I think ultimately, as I, as I, I pull a Keith Mullins and go on a monologue here, um, <laughs> I think uh, ultimately – if you're in a season, the best way to play back a quarterback is a veteran who, who's seen everything they can see because they're going to have to see it on short notice. If you're trying to build for a long term, you have to have a quarterback in the system virtually at all times. And they, they've done that with the undrafted guys and the, the Alex Tammy and the, the uh, or, and Dustin Vaughn, and they brought those guys in. But, but at, at some point, and in my opinion, it's one year before you think Tony Romo's done, which I think Keith and I share the opinion that's probably this off season is the time when you bring a guy in, at least so he's familiar. So uh, let's let's go ahead and, and move on from my 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 diatribe there. Well, I, I I appreciate you guys' input on the subject. I just want to bring up, uh, I guess, wrap up the points uh, to, to to say the Cowboys' process for the backup quarterback was Brandon Whedon. They saw what Brandon Whedon did in 2014 and decided that Brandon Whedon was still the best answer to their backup quarterback position. So they didn't want to go the true veteran route with a bunch of, uh, with a bunch of starts. And when Brandon Whedon wasn't performing well, they didn't even want to go to Matt Castle. They tried out Christian Ponder. Christian Ponder was the guy that they really wanted to come in and be that next quarterback. But he performed so badly in the tryout that they went ahead and, and completed the trade for Matt, for Matt Castle. So for me, the Cowboys didn't want to go the veteran backup way. They didn't want to go the young uh, rookie backup to give them experience because, let's face it, we're 0-6. If you had a backup quarterback waiting in the wing, these six games would have been invaluable experience as opposed to only practice on Romo Wednesdays and things of that sort. Uh, so for my take, I think they've completely screwed up the handling of this, even with all of the great points that you guys made about how difficult it is to find somebody to play. I just think the time would be better served having a young guy in there and earning the experience and then seeing what you have as you move on, because like it or not, Romo has now broken his collarbone twice in six years, and he's had multiple back surgeries and a broken back separate from those back surgeries. So whether or not he can actually maintain for the next couple of years is a large question mark for me, and I think they've just completely, completely screwed the pooch on this. So um, not to soapbox on my own question, and before we get to the final question of this first segment of the Knights of the Round Table, I want to go ahead and make sure that all of our listeners are following all of our panels on Twitter. So make sure, get out your, your browser and go to Twitter right now and follow at McCoolBTB for Landon, at Rabble Rouser, that's R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R for my man Rabs. Of course, at Joey Ikes, spelled J-O-E-Y-I-C-K-E-S. And the one and only Keith Mullins is at Keith Deuces. And obviously you can follow me at KD Drummond NFL. If you're listening to Crunch Time, you know where to find me. So with all that said, the commercials are now done. Our final question in part one, before we turn it over to the BTB crew for part two, I will turn the microphone over to the one and only Mr. Sir Rabble. Mr. Sir. Uh, so <laughs> here's what I thought I'd come up with. Uh, and this is why, this is why the, the guys had me ask my uh, questions last. Is I, I wanted to dole out a few mid-season awards. So I have a sort of mid-season award I'd like each of you to award to somebody on the Cowboys here. So um, uh, let's begin with Keith. Keith, 
the player or position group that most needs to step up in games nine through 16? The secondary. Uh, they were my choice. <laughs> they were my choice earlier, and uh, and I will take them. I think we've, I think we've seen uh, the gravitational pull of Des Bryant has returned, and so uh, so that leads me to the uh, to the secondary. And if this team doesn't find a way to give even a Tony Romo led offense some additional opportunities, uh, the occasional short field, uh, because we know we're not getting that from the return game either, <laughs> then uh, then I think that you're still putting a tall order on winning the kind of percentage that you need to, to, uh, to find a way into the tournament. And so I think that they're going to have to get their hands on footballs at some point. Um, you hope that the law of averages catches up with it. We've seen dropped INTs. We've seen near INTs and, uh, and it's, it's reached the point where uh, these guys are going to have to produce some takeaways in order to help out and uh and cover up any gaps and deficiencies elsewhere so i think the uh the secondary as a group would be my choice to uh to elevate their play excellent okay uh kd the player the player or position group most likely to hold the team back in games nine through 16. Hmm. that's a good question i would say that it would have to be rolando mcclain and the Cowboys linebackers, because my fear, very honestly, is that Sean Lee is contemplating retirement based on these concussions and mm-hmm. the fact that he can't stay in the game. I don't see how you don't if I'm him. Uh, his, his body's just not built for withstanding the NFL impact, and two concussions within five weeks would be scary as hell for anybody. So you would hope that with the talent that he contains, Rolando McClain would be the answer, but he hasn't shown any willingness or interest, I would say, in being the guy that he was for the team last year. He's out of shape. He appears to be lackadaisical when he's on the field, and without a competent linebacker, I fear what teams are going to do across the middle and underneath on the Cowboys. I I, I fear that they're going to be able to run up the middle because the defensive tackles aren't really doing a great job in, in stopping the run. And without a talented linebacker doing his job, I just, I, I really fear that the defense could collapse into that black hole. Um, I've actually contemplated the idea because back when we learned that Rolando McClain had first been fined four game checks for his failed drug test back in January, uh, and then he was suspended four games the question came up whether or not those two things run concurrently. And for me, my response was, I don't see how they could. So basically in my mind, and we haven't been able to get any confirmation from the team we've tried is that Rolando McClain has basically been paying, playing these four games for free. Ooh. And if that's any explanation for the effort that we've seen out of him or the lack of preparation, how disgusting is that? And again, I don't have this. This isn't sure. This is me spitballing. This isn't surefire. I know this to be a fact. I, I want to make that clear. This is just me contemplating. But based on what we're looking, that doesn't seem to be too foreign of a of a reason for the performance that we're seeing out of him. And just the idea that if Lee is out for an extended period of time, that we're turning over the coordination of the defense to him. I'm just worried, and, and, and I make no bones about how I feel about this guy's commitment 
to playing or practicing, even though he normally shows up on game day. He's not even showing up on game day right now. So where does that leave the Cowboys with an, with an under-talented Anthony Hitchens running the show? It, it, it's a black hole for me if Orlando McClain doesn't turn it around. Nice. Okay. Uh, Landon, uh, the player or position group other than quarterback most likely to lead a playoff drive? Well, I mean, I think it's more likely than at, at this point. I mean, just because QB may take a while to get back, Dez is still working his, his way back into shape. If this team's going to the playoffs, it's going to the playoffs on the back of its offensive line. And uh, if this team is going to have to go out and just start crushing the will of their of the opposing team's defense if they want to win, I think we you know there's a reason that we named all these other position groups as being disappointing or needing to upgrade or you know be better in the second half, and they've been all defensive and and I think you know the one position group that uh, scared us a little bit early on just because it didn't seem like they were all coordinated. And, and, and that makes sense. I mean, they, you know, there were some injuries in, in the uh, in the preseason and it kind of didn't allow for them to play a lot together. And I think plugging in Lyle Collins is, has really been a kind of a revelation and, and uh, an upgrade. But I, I think if, if this team's going to do anything this season, um, they're going to need to make, uh, you know, gold out of Darren McFadden which they've so far done. I mean, it is, I don't think it's a coincidence that Darren's had his best three games as a pro, as he said, uh, behind this offensive line. Yeah. Uh, and I think if, 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 if this offense is going to survive and this team's going to go to the playoffs, the offensive line's going to need to play the way that we know they can play. All right, last one. Uh, the Wizard of the Whiteboard, Joey Ike. <laughs> uh, the player or position group that we are most likely to be focusing on in our pre-draft player evaluations next spring. Uh. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Um, I think uh, – is it bad that I don't think it's all that different than it was last year? It's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's no, almost exactly the same. I mean, you could almost – there are scenarios that you can look at and say, okay, you're, you're not looking at cornerback as much as you were last year. But then there's also scenarios that you look at and go, well, we don't have three NFL-quality corners on our roster, on our under contract for next year if, if Brandon Carr is gone, as we all assume that he will be. Um, running back, they, ha- they now have four running backs on their team that are under contract for 2016. And – I don't necessarily think it's a guarantee that any of them are here next year. And, and then, I mean, we, we talked about linebacker last year that comes up again. The safety conversation has been had here. The right tackle conversation has been had uh, wide receiver. We talked about some last year quarterback. We talked about a little bit last year. Um, it's almost no different. The one position that you may say, okay, we're probably not looking there. It's probably edge rusher, especially if they wind up bringing back Greg Hardy next year, you look around, you go, okay, well, you got Lawrence, you got Gregory, you got Hardy, you got, uh, Ryan Russell. Uh, okay. We're probably okay there, especially in the early rounds. But other than that, I mean, it's basically the same conversation it was last year. Uh, so I'll probably say we'll spend a lot of time talking about, the running back and talking about the quarterback. And then there's also going to be this corner situation slash defensive back situation. All right. Thanks gentlemen. 
All right, and that'll bring a conclusion to the first part of our Knights of the Round Table discussion. But have no fear. As things wind down here on Cowboys HQ and Cowboys Crunch Time with KB, we are going to turn over the rest of this conversation to the definitely sure-handed duo of Landon and Rabble and move things over to the BTB platform. So with that, we will bid you adieu. Thank you, gentlemen. I told you. I told you it was going to be a blast. And that's only part one. So as I told you before we even started the segment, get prepared, head over to BTB, get part two, finish the conversation, and everything will be everything for you as we prepare for the final, the final week without Tony Romo. And hope beyond hope, pray to whatever football guides you believe in that they can pull out a victory against Tampa Bay and get some momentum going for when Romo to God returns to the field. That's it, man. I'm tired. I'm done. You know what it is. Follow me on Twitter at KDDrummondNFL. Read my musings over on CowboysHQ.com. And that's it. We're out of here. Salute.